0: I literally have this picture of every prison door has been opened. Everyone's free to walk out, and those that walk out are saved. Welcome to the SOMA Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Paul. Now that we've deconstructed our evangelical beliefs, we're trying to find a way forward
1: to hold on to Christian faith and community in a post-Christian culture.
0: Today we're talking about the crucifixion, the death of Christ. Um that's a big topic. It's pretty much the the cross is, is, is pretty much the symbol of the Christian faith. There's a a lot of meaning we've put up upon it over the centuries and so it makes sense that we talk about it. It's kind of a central piece in the story. Like even when you um when you think of the four gospel accounts, all four gospels like end their story with the death and resurrection of Christ. The whole thing kinda of hinges on this event. And this was really important, you know to, to um, the early church and trying to make sense of what that whole event really meant, especially after afterwards and how they process, process that.
1: Right, and uh, Paul wrote in the letters that if Christ is not resurrected, then basically your faith is in vain. So it's if it's not true, it's not real, it, it all falls apart, basically.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one, and I think it might be a tough one for some of our listeners to really grapple with. Mark, the cross was pretty much the, like, the thing for me in my early Christian life. Um, and um, that ministry I, I talked about in, I think in our first episode when I was a teenager um, and it, we call the the ministry, come to the cross, right? <laughs> um, the cross was so much the focus of everything we did. I wrote a bunch of songs about the cross. There was one song, I, I this is really, uh, my memory is not gonna be that great here, but one of the wor- lyrics to the, to the verse was, Dripping from his hands stained upon the cross coming down his face, the blood was shed for us. And I just wrote song after song about this event. I remember just taking my guitar into really unusual places like we would crash parties, we'd, we'd go into, um, you know, school, school cafeterias and I would start singing these songs about the cross and I remember this one party we went to where it was just a regular you know teenage party lots of drinking rock and roll people making out that kind of thing and by the end of the night uh, we'd crash the party sung about the cross preached the cross and we were uh, praying with people at the end of the night people were like crying or praying with people and it was like it turned into some kind of like church service it was so this was a real passion of mine i remember songs like you know what can wash away my sin nothing but the blood of jesus so i think anyone listening to to us who has an evangelical background or a christian background is going to really know and connect what i didn't know though for many years was the meaning of the cross and the way i preached the what i thought was the gospel Uh, has a name and it's called the uh, uh, penal substitution theory of the cross i didn't obviously i didn't know that for quite a while until later and uh you know it was it was pretty powerful i remember us talking about this in soma one time where you had a a a sort of a view of the gospel that was really simple and easy to understand it was from for me it was a penal substitution theory which i think we'll get into and it was really compacted well, like we had a series of maybe 20 verses that you use and you present the gospel and it's, it really is vertical. It's basically, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're going to hell and we're we're dying in our sin and, and Jesus dies on the cross. And, uh, and then through that event, we can now go to heaven, right? So there was a real vertical thing. If you just believe these things, you go to heaven. Um, And I found it hard to keep holding on to my vertical metaphysical sort of understanding of faith um, in the last several years. And so that made me question the gospel, what it is. And it made me really question the, this penal substitutionary theory of, of the gospel of, of the cross. And, um, and so I started to have some problems with the thing that I had wrote songs about preached for many years. Uh, and it started to sort of crumble a little bit.
1: I mean, it's one of those, um, again, one of those theologies, right, that you just, you just, pick it up and you just assume it's true and you get taught it in a certain way. And then you just, I, th- I think people are basically copying machines. We, we end up copying what we hear. If somebody else taught it to you a certain way, then you go out and you just put your spin on it and, and then it becomes, um, just the accepted view, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There are actually I I did a quick uh, uh, study and there's actually at least seven atonement theories. I think there's probably more there's like the moral influence theory that Jesus is just a good person. Essentially, um, he's giving an example. Uh, There's a ransom theory which says um, Jesus died to pay a price. So you know, Satan is essentially in control of the world, Jesus paid the price that got the keys back from satan and um, i'm simplifying this crisis victor um more generalized defeating the powers of evil sin and death um and then there's the satisfaction theory that jesus died to satisfy just god so if god is really really just and we're really really not then there has to be a, a, a you know god has to be satisfied the payment has to be made essentially and I think penal substitutionary theory is just a variation on that. Was a little bit more, um, you know. There's also a legal component that we are, because of sin, we are separated legally from God, and the um, the payment has to be made through Jesus' death. That basically nullifies that. And there's th- there's some other ones. There's scapegoat theory, which is a newer one, which basically says that Jesus is um, the scapegoat that the sin of you know. Um, the group gets put on Jesus, um, and systems like religious systems and government systems need scapegoats to continue to function. He, so Jesus is giving us an example. Um, and because God, and I, I think in all of those, because Jesus resurrected, or if you believe in the resurrection, it's essentially God's putting a seal of approval on Jesus and demonstrating something has changed, something um, has been overcome through his death and resurrection. Um, and I, I would also say I've got the dad version of atonement that, you know, everything has a cost, basically. Life is unfair. Bad things happen to good people. And, but in the end, you know, through faith and through trusting in God, I think uh, circumstances can be overcome. And resurrections do happen. And I've experienced them in my life. And I, th- and I do personally believe that Jesus was also resurrected. And that made all the difference. Yeah,
0: so the the penal substitution theory,
1: the idea that
0: the father unleashed his wrath on Christ on the cross to satisfy his need for for blood for forgiveness. Like this kind of a quick summary. I used to talk about it how like uh God is loving, but he's also holy. Um and his holiness requires that he sort of judge sin. So it kind of be like I, I kind of would talk about it like God is a judge and and the person who's accused of the crime is his wife, right? And you yeah, he, he, the judge loves his wife, but he can't just say I forgive you and I let you go because we would have the sense that that's not just. So 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 how would God satisfy both his love and his justice? And so he found a way to um, say, well, if 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 a perfect sacrifice could be offered, it could appease my wrath. It could I could pour out that judgment on, on somebody else, so someone stands in place of the accused, and um, and that person ends up being Jesus, um, and so the father pours out his wrath on Jesus while he hangs on the cross, and he literally treats Jesus like he's the biggest sinner in the world, and he just he just judges sin on Jesus, and it kind of diverts his wrath from being uh, on us. It kind of makes sense, and it seems okay, and and then and then and then like if you look at it a little bit. Further, a little more deeply, I find it some of it troubling. Like I, I find some of it start to fall apart a little bit. Like to me, it, it kind of portrays the father of Jesus kind of like a pagan deity, right? Who who can only be placated by like the barbarism barbarism of of child sacrifice or something, right? Like it's it's kind of akin to that throwing the Virgin into the volcano kind of idea to appease the gods. This uh, quid pro quo kind of idea where um god gains the necessary capital to forgive but he just can't forgive he has there has to be something some something paid for that to happen and and i I guess it i would say that that to me doesn't line up when you think of jesus being the lens like we talked about jesus being the lens and jesus obscura that episode of our of our uh, podcast where like if you look at jesus you should see um that's what God is like right and when you talk about Jesus he's loving enemies and he's doing all these things um and so it 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 seems like there's a this disconnect between the image of the father and the image of Jesus with this idea of God just having to pour out all his wrath and anger on somebody to pay for this and and I mean I, I don't want to reveal what I think at this point but did you have a reaction to that?
1: Well, I mean, that's probably one of the most common things that I've heard. When I talk to people about the Bible, just in general, they say the old Testament, God seems kind of angry at times. Um, and then, then there's a difference with Jesus, right? So how do you reconcile the angry God with, you know, the, the, the more loving version of Jesus. And I think there's a, there's a lot, it's, there's a lot of things we're not going to probably come to, this is the clear answer. It's, it's just not, it doesn't work that way. Um. You know a couple of things i i think you know what is your emotional training right we all have an emotional training um that again we all have these filters so did you grow up with an angry father well that might have a bearing on how you how you read into this equation did you grow up with a permissive parent where things were just you know there, there weren't a lot of boundaries. That's going to have an effect on how you see this equation. So a, a lot of people get offended by this idea that, that the father is pouring out his wrath on 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 Jesus like an angry parent. So if you've grown up with an angry parent, you read that into the text and, and that becomes a barrier for you. But I, w- I would say. An important sort of sidestep theologically is, you know, think thinking about the Trinity. So I, to throw the Trinity in the mix, I do think that if we picture it just as a father separate pouring out his wrath on Jesus, then that's, you know, then you get into this cosmic child abuse critique that people make. But if it's the Trinity in a sense that it's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all working together, they're all essentially connected. You know, there are one God and three personalities, which is the traditional view, then it's an agreed upon thing that's happening. You know, some of these atonement theories, there's probably parts that are valid and valuable. Um, it's not a one, probably a one thing that you could just, here's, here's the answer, this is the right answer. It's more, we come to the question bringing our own baggage, family baggage, we, we come bringing our own theological baggage, and we have to, be willing to work through all of that I think as we as we kind of discuss and try to work out how we understand it
0: yeah I think I like to comment on um, your statement about how people often see this difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and that God this angry God idea or this wrath of God concept and uh, and then Jesus being very different than that I don't know if people listening uh, heard our Bible episode but I'm just going to reference that episode, we there we talked about a bit about how the Bible is a partial and progressive revelation, right? Like it talks about how they they saw in part and they prophesied in part and that they were looking into this sort of, you know, cloudy mirror and it was dimmed and it's not the full picture. And I talked about in the matrix, how the Oracle tells you what you need to hear, but nothing more like what you're able to hear in that moment, but doesn't necessarily have to give the whole picture. And I feel like that's what we see in the Bible progressing through from, you know, all the way from the uh, from Genesis all the way to to Revelation is you first have these these ideas of pagan notions of God. Right. Where a lot of the pagan nations around Israel did things like um, extreme vengeance. Right. So if somebody did something to hurt you, you retaliated with an an extreme way. You went above and beyond the way they hurt you. And, um, and they would sacrifice humans, their kids, to, to, to gods, right, to appease those angers. So that's what I mean by this sort of pagan notion of, of God. But then you have, like, in the Torah, in the law of Moses, you know, uh, basically laws that say an eye for an eye. Like, we want to control how much vengeance or, or retributive justice you, you do here. Don't be like these other nations. So there's, there's a step forward in the evolution of these ideas. Just an eye for an eye. Don't take more than that kind of thing and and the sacrifices were like okay let's go with animals here like don't throw your kids into the fire or in that you know the virgin into the into the uh, into the volcano uh let's go with animal sacrifices and so those two ideas were like one was like a debt to society right so like if you did something wrong you stole from your neighbor you had to return and make rest, restitution for that and then there is this sort of feeling of a debt to god so they would have this the sacrificial system where they would um, kill an animal and they would offer the blood as a sacrifice but i don't see like penal substitution in those uh, in those areas uh, in those sacrifices um i see the idea of some type of representative some type of substitution there but it's more like um clearing that guilty conscience, like that debt to god and um, and the sacrifice was sacred. Like I I I don't know that it was considered some like um, evil or now it's become sin. It's become a substitute for something like that, and it was eaten right. Like they had a meal from that, um, and it kind of it kind of you know sort of another nod to that is the Passover lamb from you know from Egypt where they they took the blood and they put the blood on the. Doors and it protected them from a destroyer but then they went and they, they ate the meal and they celebrated and they remembered that and, and in, in the new in the new testament the christians took up the same thing with communion uh using the cross as as jesus being that passover lamb so then but then we get to the prophets so again we're, we're talking about this progressive revelation the prophets go mainly around the exile that ma- major event we've talked about before but there is no system at some point it gets judged the temple gets destroyed there are no sacrifices and and god reveals through prophets like hosea i want you to be merciful i want you to be good i don't want your sacrifices i want you to know god i'm not, rather than the burnt offerings right and and we have stuff like that in isaiah too where where god says i'm sick of your sacrifices and there's a there's a passage in hebrews 10 where it says god didn't really want the animal sacrifices and so then we get to jesus who's like no no eye for eye love your love your enemies like so he's taking a new step love your enemies and you don't have to have the sense of retributive vengeance or justice and then he says you know he basically puts an end to all blood sacrifice with with his death on the cross so i guess what i'm saying is um this difference between this, the view of what God demands for, for, for forgiveness in the Old Testament and what Jesus seems to be bringing in the New Testament is different, but we, that, that's expected because we see this progression of ideas from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I think what we're doing is we're just getting a clearer and clearer picture of what God is really like.
1: But I, I would say the problem of an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth still is very prevalent in our culture. We just don't think of it in those terms anymore. I think the payment system is, is built into how human beings function, right? If I do some work for my employer, I expect to be paid, right? many, many human transactions. If I go and I like your Instagram, I kind of expect you to like my Instagram back. But that's, in a sense, that's a built-in payment system. We, we're we always keeping track of, you know, how much work we put into something. If, you know, if I, I've had students who um, are doing an assignment on the computer and then all of a sudden the computer crashes and, and they feel like I've done the work, I, I should get my mark, but they don't have the project they didn't save it properly or whatever you know um, they don't want to do it again because it's work and they've done the work and now they expect to be paid and I, I just think that's everywhere you know uh, you know you if I cut you off uh, on the way down to you know people some people get we've talked about this before. some people get very angry well why is that because you know, you're, you're infringing on their right to arrive one second earlier, right? And is there an eye for an eye still operating? Some of those people get very angry. They definitely, in the moment, want you to not be on the road, you know? Um, I, I think that, that, that mentality is, is everywhere. And it says in, um, The Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. So there's different ways of thinking about the cross. And um, in, in its simplest form, it, I, I don't have a problem with seeing it as, um, in a sense, a payment or a way of scrubbing the slate clean and saying that God is is... We're we're able to be accepted by God. There's nothing in in the way of our relationship with God if we so choose. Um, that there has been a, in a sense a payment made, and how we understand that, what it looked like horizontally, um, is less important than what it could do. If you um, if you see it, you know, and understand it. The cross is basically saying, the price has been paid. Um, I don't have to pay it. Somebody else doesn't have to pay it. We all understand that things need to get. paid for and here's the most important thing of all is is your life um your existence and and god has essentially made a way through christ that any debt whatever it is whatever is holding you back whatever makes you feel guilty whatever makes you feel separated from god or other people it's been dealt with that's been paid for it's it's over and done with
0: yeah i guess i i have trouble with that mark because it feels like that's why the penal substitution theory or this you know, eye for eye idea. It makes so so much sense to us. Maybe that's why it's such a popular view in the evangelical and Protestant, mainly a Protestant um, perspective. But that's what makes me question it. Because is it is it just the system of the world? And that system is it's like living, breathing under you know, breathing in the air. We're so used to it. And the, and the system of the kingdom is so different that it's so easy for us to look at the cross from a transactional kind of quid pro quo perspective because that's what the world we know and i i really doubt that like does jesus basically essentially save us from god that's what that's what that view is
1: i don't think i'm saying that though no and i don't think so um i'm saying that built into the equation and the horizontal what we're dealing with is everything has a cost right Mm -hmm. and i i think it's Maybe God cannot make a world where there is no cost, where there is no separation. So that is the situation we're in. So it's not a question of God is angry and, you know, he's waiting to pour his wrath. That's not what I'm emphasizing. I'm just saying there is a separation. And I, I see that separation everywhere. You know, I've been around like students. I've been around other people who you can tell by their body language, they feel less than you. They don't mm-hmm. look at you their, their eyes are down right mm-hmm. there there's um there's something in them that feels um separated or less than and and i think that if we were to encounter god directly we would have that experience maybe in the extreme you know and there's there's verses that even talk about that and the, the verse where jesus takes um the disciples up in the transfiguration they're mm-hmm. afraid they feel fear when they encounter god when they you know there is something about God that is other than us. And I think if we were to experience God's face directly, it would be probably traumatic. And that's a part of what Jesus is doing is that he is um, filtering God to us, presenting an image that we can see and understand. And it's, and it's an assurance to us that ultimately God is good and ultimately God has our best interests at heart. But if we were to experience God directly without the filter of Jesus, I'm not sure. I think it would be like, you know, if you've ever walked downtown and see someone sitting on the sidewalk and they don't look at you, well, why is it they don't look at you? They feel like subhuman or less than you, Like right? You almost can feel that sometimes. And would we not have that experience with God?
0: I guess what you're describing is reality. So I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you there. That that's true. That's how people act. That's how we see things. That's how we feel about it. And, and it is, we, you know, it is a it is a, an impact of the of the Garden of Eden, right? Like we saw that in the Garden of Eden, where people hid themselves. They Adam and Eve hid themselves from God. They were afraid because they were naked, so they were conscious of their shame and all that kind of thing. So that is
1: real, and that is reality. I think the wrath of God is real, um, and it's something that we experience. You know, and I, I've shared before um, my own experience in coming to terms with. Um, or forgiving my father, I I once got so angry at him, I think I poured my wrath out on him. And after it was done, he was devastated. And um, but I felt better, you know, and I I think that there is something to the the wrath describes a real human experience. People feel separation, people Mm -hmm. feel anger. Uh, Many people feel God is angry at them. And, and so what Jesus does is he takes that wrath and he, and he uh, transforms it into into grace. He transforms it into forgiveness, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that it matters so much. I mean, I guess I'm not saying that God is angry, but I'm saying that lots of people perceive him that way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what what we should do is, like you said, focus on Jesus and experience or, or look for ways that that anger and that wrath can can be trans into forgiveness can be transformed to understanding empathy and so forth the system does produce that in people and that's that's the experience the wrath of God I think I mean
0: Paul talks about a bit about this in Romans and he really kind of goes to at lengths to kind of explain or describe what that's like um, but when you really look at it it seems like the wrath of God is is just God handing us over to our own desires. Like it's sort of the fruit of plugging into the wrong root, right? It, it, it's here, if you want this, go ahead, you can have this, and you're going to experience where it takes you. It's kind of, again, back to the garden, where if you want the knowledge of the good and evil, you're gonna get this, but you're gonna realize that life is hard, and and there's there's gonna be a lot of suffering as, that comes as a result to this. Um, I guess what I want to say about Jesus and the cross was that Jesus was a sacrifice and that God was willing to enter into like the sinful system of our world in order to expose it as utterly sinful right? and, and provide us another way. Um, so like Jesus died for our sins, but it's more like we violently sinned against Jesus and God. That That anger and that wrath isn't coming from the Father. That anger and wrath is in this world. It's the reality of this world. It's the reality of the state that we're in. And Jesus allows himself to suffer by the hand of that and to take that on. Uh, and in the middle of that, he reveals God's heart of forgiveness, right? Um, I don't think the cross is an appeasement of a monster God, but more of a reaction to it, the, the revelation of a merciful God. Like, God would rather die than kill his enemies in that moment. He, we killed God and God still loves and what I, what I think is so powerful, this would be my atonement theory is that if we say God loves us and forgives us, it's kind of like abstract, right? It's, it's, it's kind of metaphoric, I guess, uh, it's otherworldly or metaphysical. It's it's philosophical idea, but like, what's it, you know, what's the truth? How do we know in reality, in time and space? And, and that's what I like about Christianity is it becomes, it becomes real. So God becomes a person and that person subjects themselves to human the human experiment it's almost like an anthropologist you know joining this lost tribe in a in a in a, in, a, in the jungle and and like living with them and learning their ways and learning to love them and actually showing them their his love and but also subjecting himself to their suffering and their pain and literally in the worst possible expression of that in the cross and and then he says i forgive you I love you. It's really concrete. It's, it's in time and space. Um, it's not just this theoretical idea, but like, no, actually, we, we killed God and he loved us. He forgave us. It's real. I can point to an event in time and space. It's somatic. It's body. It's incarnation. That, that, that to me is that when I say uh, I, I, God loves me or I'm forgiven, I can point to a real event in, in our history
1: i again going back to those seven atonement theories and i and i know we're never going to set come up with a satisfying answer here but um i again i i don't think that's strong enough in some ways because I, while i agree and so you're basically saying god could just forgive people and and so maybe one argument is the cross demonstrates that god is willing to forgive people and then it gives people it's performative in a sense that people see that and go okay God, you know, God's willing to give Jesus and allow Jesus to die. That gives a performative example of how much he loves us. I I think there might be something to some of the other theories or maybe some of the emphasis in other places, you know, we're all familiar with when we do wrong, there's that cost in our world, right? And, and the cost has to be paid. And, And sometimes there are, there's legal aspects to it, like, you know, that, that other people are infringed upon. So other people have a right to determine, you know, how that cost is repaid or what happens to you when you make uh, a judgment where you hurt somebody else. You know, if if, if one of us had killed somebody, it wouldn't be as simple as I just forgive you, right? There's gonna be legal repercussions. And that's, that's our reality here. I'm not so sure that that reality does not extend to God in some sense, you know? I do think God is willing to pay the whole price, whatever that means or looks like. But there, I'm not convinced it's just as simple as God just forgives us. And, you know, even just getting back to the idea of, um, not getting back to, but emphasizing Christians, a lot of times will talk about the price that's been paid, the spilt blood of Jesus, and the Bible says the life is in the blood. Um, that, there, you know, I think that there is something did change in the death that's not just merely performative is not just a good example it's not just God's l- a little happier with us now I think something um, powerful and you know to I think it's uh, Jared Tolkien like a you know a, an older more powerful magic s- something transformed at the level of reality in what Jesus accomplished on the cross and the resurrection is. Is a demonstration of that power and a demonstration of that fulfillment that Jesus uh, accomplished on the cross.
0: Yeah, I think something really did happen at the cross that was cosmic, right? And it was real, and it set off this this bomb in society for sure. It was this historical event, but it had this sort of cosmic, spiritual impact. But I think it was it was just that God made it personal. Like I think God can just forgive without demanding a payment. Um, it, it's what Jesus taught in the in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's what he taught in the in the um, Beatitudes. He just ultimately lives it in this extreme moment where he's forgiving his enemies, and he's, he's he's turning the other cheek, and he's praying for those who are persecuting him. He's the meek inheriting the earth. Right. He's he's literally living everything he's he's set up to this point. And when he taught us to pray, he said, "Lord," um, he said, uh, "Father, forgive us." As, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I think that's what God is doing in the cross. He's literally allowing himself to be trespassed against us by humanity, representative there. And he's like, God is forgiving his trespassers. He's forgiving as we trespass against him, for real, not metaphorically, not like, oh, we're all hurting each other and it hurts God. No, I mean, we hurt God. Like he literally gets destroyed by humanity and he, he offers forgiveness right so so that the crucifixion is this dark focal point of human suffering and violence and all of that violence i think is coming from humans like not not as a punishment that god requires because that seems like then um how much is how much should he pay for that like, like the mechanics of it seems strange and and really we're going to solve the world's t- most terrible problem with violence of uh, Violence is going to solve the problem of violence or or is it the opposite spirit? Is it the kingdom? Is it the thing that Jesus is bringing is you're solving the problem of violence and suffering with love and forgiveness, right? And so the crucifixion is like this magnet that draws all these levels of, of of pain, and suffering, and he's betrayed by his friends, he's alone, he's denied by his other friend, you know, he's got an unjust trial at night and he's falsely sentenced and all and there's an angry mob and brutality of the guards. I mean, it's every possible level of suffering and in the context of all that, he he says I love you, I forgive you. And then he and then and then he gets ra- raised from the dead and he over- overcomes all that darkness. Um, So at the cross, you see the sin of the world uh, and God forgiving that sin. I don't think you see the wrath and judgment of God. I think you see um, the sin of the world stacking up against the Holy One and and, and Him coming with the kingdom spirit and saying, forgive them for they know not what they do.
1: I don't disagree with what you're saying. Uh, I'm just... I'm saying I think there's a both end here, you know, Isaiah 53 and Isaiah 53 is a lot about foreshadowing, or traditionally understood to be foreshadowing that death and uh, crucifixion. You know, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well being fell upon him. And by his scrounging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the law, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. So, you know, it's it's two sides of the same coin. I mean, whatever ha- what happened on the cross, I don't think was merely performative or merely a good example. I think it's almost like a spiritual singularity when Jesus took upon uh, the, the the full wrath, the full sin, the full uh, abdication of that system upon himself when he died, um, and then when he resurrected, it was proof that he was the messiah and it was a fulfillment of all of the what the old testament was pointing towards and i think that it created some it created a power and it created a a connection with god that is still open today and when people put their faith in christ what they're doing is putting they're gaining access to everything christ accomplished on the cross putting away anything that separated people from god and opening up a, a permanent um, way to access everything that God has for people. And it's demonstrating it, but it's also a real power that when people put their faith in Christ, they can be assured that there's nothing separating them, no circumstance, no mm-hmm. failure, no moral sin, no, you know. But there's also a real power. It's not just God saying, I love you, it's God making access, giving us access to the power that's available, the very power that brought. Jesus back from the dead is a power that's available to people. And you can experience the resurrection in your life in some way, the resurrection of your marriage or resurrection of your health or whatever. There's, there's a way to access that power. Obviously, it's not to the same degree and it, and it sometimes has to be worked out over time, but that's the promise that's that's there. Yeah, I
0: think Isaiah fifty three, like all those expressions, you know, he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for iniquities and all that, and he he gathered all the iniquity of us all upon him. All of that is still works with my theory of atonement, if I could put it that way. Uh, he is suffering uh, in you know the, he is suffering all these things uh, as a human and and identifying in solidarity with humanity, you know, and and then he's expressing forgiveness. But it's interesting in that same passage. It's saying and we esteemed him stricken by god like we esteemed him that like we gave we thought this is god punishing this the scapegoat basically um and that didn't it's not saying that
1: god sees it that way (laughs) no that's a good point um but i i still think um from a human perspective from our perspective we do experience god as being wrathful many people do right they absolutely. feel that god is angry at them absolutely and so what i'm saying is that that's a part of the equation mm-hmm. um and that jesus is stepping into that and has paid the price yeah. and has settled any debt that you had and so now, even when um, we were in sin, God was for us. Absolutely. Yeah. God, yeah. I don't believe that God is angry at people, but I believe that there are things that separate people from God.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And that gets, again, it gets back to the garden and that voice of the serpent, right? We talked about in our devil episode, remember that, the voice of the serpent and the accuser. In a way, what the cross does is it, 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 it tackles all of that. Uh, head on, right? Like the, the serpent was like, did God really say? The serpent put doubt into the hearts of people. It's, it's this voice of doubt that we have in humanity that God is good, that God's for us. We think He's against us. We think that God is hiding something from us. And what the cross does is it says, No, it's wrong. I don't th- that's not how I think about you. I-, I love you, I accept you. You know, there's a powerful statement in the New Testament that says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, right? Where that voice of the serpent that we have in our minds is always self-doubting, it's always self-hating, it's always accusing us and the cross says no you are not accused you're you're forgiven you're free there's no more shame you don't have to hide yourself with your fig leaves and again we saw the nod to that in the garden when he gave them skin to cover
1: themselves with which is a picture of what right, Christ has done right that's exactly but so what would you say then so for those that are in Christ are there 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 may be people who by their own choice or will or not in christ or don't want to be in christ so what would you say to those individuals are they at risk of experiencing what are they at risk of experiencing yeah,
0: I'm, at, I'm i'm at risk right now of, of viewers or listeners saying i'm not christian enough you know the two Christian, not christian enough because my feeling is that christ has forgiven the world and it's almost like um well, it says that in, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 5, that God has made peace with the world. He has not held our sins against us, that there's this ministry of reconciliation. I literally have this picture of every prison door has been opened, and those who walk out, everyone's free to walk out, and those that walk out are saved. Those that don't, they just don't know that the door is open, basically. And, and so that's maybe that's what... I think in a sense, everyone's in Christ. The whole world got the blessing of the cross. The whole world received that, 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 that bomb that went off, it's impacting everybody, but people don't know. People still are, are in, in, um, in, in, in in those prisons, just with the door sitting open and they're, and they're living their miserable lives and, and not knowing that they can be free. Their conscience can be cleared. They can be loved. They can have peace with God, uh, the scapegoating thing that's going on, you know, like, The devil made me do it or you know this woman you gave me uh she's the one that caused me all of that system that's that the garden reveals i think in the cross god sets the record straight he literally just on the record goes no that's not the way my kingdom or my or my uh will is that's not what it's about
1: yeah i mean there's a debate between limited atonement versus universal atonement right or and and some people would argue that only those that um that God chose have received the benefits of what Jesus has done versus what you're saying is that atonement is available to anybody. But usually there's also um, something that individuals have to do. So in Romans 3, it talks about all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are now justified, in other words, made right, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood effective through faith mm-hmm. so i think that effective through faith that the atonement is for everybody that's what i believe that that what jesus accomplished is accessible and available to everybody but there is something there is a humility there's a faith that is needed to make it effective so i i believe there are people who are not participating or not getting the benefits of that and it's not as simple as um it's done like there's something that they they have to respond in faith and they have to be willing to draw that life that is that is possible through christ
0: absolutely i mean what good is truth if you don't know if you don't know the truth right like jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free it, it the truth is there it, it doesn't change it's it, but if you don't believe it or if you don't know it or if you can't receive it then it's almost irrelevant to you because you're living in that darkness in that dark place right so you you you're right like we there is something we have to do it is to hear these words or hear or seek out the this the, um, the truth on on this matter and and discover it and respond to it you know i i, I wanted to talk about something else like when Earlier I referenced how for so many years I preached the cross and and basically it was a penal substitution idea and it was the gospel I thought was the gospel and I would often read the book of acts for example and see what the, how the early how the early disciples would preach the gospel and I did notice in those days that they didn't preach the same gospel that I did but I kind of just ignored it and figured, ah, you know, Paul the Apostle shed some light on things. We just know some things now that maybe those guys didn't fully know.
1: You're probably referring to like the Romans Road kind of, you know, there's a tendency to simplify things down too much sometimes. Yeah. And then you, the, the more you talk about it, this the the more reduced it gets, right? Yeah. One of the great things I think about the Bible is the stories come at you from so many different angles, and and even the Gospels, there's you know, there's four of them, right? And they all tell things from a slightly different angle with different details, um, and and that's good because it gives you, a you know, it allows different a different picture, a different flavor. It says in John 3.36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So again, I, you know, whether we're talking about whether God's really angry or whether It's just we're stuck in our way of thinking and our experience of what God is like. It's through that connection of faith and through the process of building up in your own life, understanding of of who Jesus is, who God is, and seeing things differently that gives you a pathway to that life, You know, to a different way of living. I think that's what we all ultimately want. So the atonement is, in a sense, in the simplest sense, it's just God has made a pathway that things have been made right that there is there's an there's an access to power and there's an access to um a, you know a, the resurrection power that can can be worked out in your life and um if you understand that it's a process that you can enter into and that that ultimately God is 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 for you and not against you
0: i think i do want to talk to some of our listeners who we know listen to the podcast and they've maybe they they were Christians and they, they've lost their faith or they're really struggling with their faith. I know I've been, again, very honest about my struggles with with believing, but uh, more and more and more, I'm growing in my faith. And I think one of the things that might be hard to believe is the re- is the resurrection. Right? Like We're saying it's really important. Um, the death of Christ makes a lot of sense coupled with the resurrection. So this kind of is a sticking point. Um, and... I mean, I'll admit on a logical level, like from my mind and my brain, it's hard to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, right? Like if you were to tell me today, in this day, there's a guy who's claiming to be the son of God, he was killed and he came back to life, right? Um, And I would be like, I don't believe you. I I doubt that, right? But now 2,000 years have passed and, um, and so maybe it's a little easier for me to believe that, but... But it's hard it's difficult i I just want to say that that can be a challenge i know that can be a stumbling block for people um but i I guess one of the things that i have to say is there's there's a verse in romans um romans 10 9 it's it's one of those famous roman road verses but it's like if you if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you'll you'll be saved right and I think that confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord is saying, I, I, I recognize that Jesus has a system and a new system and a kingdom and a way of life that I'm, I'm going to, I want to follow. So that's easy. I think even the listeners who are listening to us might say, you know, I think I could follow Jesus's teachings, but then it says, oh, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And that can be the tough, the tough part. But I, I can say that my brain goes, I know this is hard but my heart goes, uh, it feels like my relationship with Jesus is alive, right? Like I think about other people of history and they're just dead people in history. I can't think about Jesus that way. Uh, On some level, I know he was a historical figure, but there's a deeper level where I have this belief in him that sets him apart from any other great leader, any other great person or teacher. I can't explain that logically i just have this experience in my heart that he's alive and i just it's there's a tension there between my head and my heart but i'm just going with it and it's it's real to me but here's the thing it's real to millions like there there are millions of people and you know maybe billions who say that their relationship to christ seems alive It seems like he's real and alive and that is a form of uh, of uh, of evidence, right? That's a form of like, how do you explain that all these people have this
1: experience? Well, I, I could finish off by saying, uh, well, two things. I think one, the resurrection answers the right question, right? Death is, and in many forms, physical death and death of so many uh, of our experiences, you know, whether it's finances, marriage, or whatever it is, right. Um, that's our that's our one desire that we have is to overcome death. And that's a that's a big desire that many of us have. And I would say for me, I, I've experienced resurrection, not the full on physical resurrection, obviously, but I've experienced resurrection in my emotions when I was really depressed and really feeling bleak for long periods of time. And now I feel like God has brought a resurrection in my life, which is why I'm essentially back willing to do a podcast. And um, it works. There, there is power, and there's there's, um, there's power in what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And I think that if you connect with it with your head, it's very difficult to get the benefits. It, it, it is a heart thing that has to happen. Um, it's a faith thing, but it's available to anybody. I would encourage people to just read the Gospels and just pray and ask God to show you um, you know, Jesus in, in that picture and show Jesus to you in your life. Until next time, we'd love to hear from you if you have questions or counterpoints to what we've raised today. Thanks for listening.